Well, to set the stage just a bit, today's gospel might seem a bit confusing because we are back to Jesus' last meal with his disciples. Even though we've already gone through Easter, our lectionary takes us back to the night before he died. It's Thursday evening, and this is the night, remember, that Jesus is going to be betrayed, handed over to his enemies, deserted by his friends, tried, convicted, and ultimately crucified. And where we find ourselves in the story of Jesus today is intimate, it's profound, it's deeply personal. Jesus knows that his death is soon and yet shows such vulnerability with those closest to him. Jesus is at the Passover table. He's surrounded by his friends. He opens up and shares his parting words as well as his hope for his disciples. And in only the way that Jesus does, he does it in a prayer. Of course he does. Chapter 17 of John is Jesus' closing prayer. It is what he wants everyone to know. Some have called it Jesus' high priestly prayer, in that it is his prayer that he says right before he dies. So in the history of the church, this particular prayer, John 17, has held immense importance. And if you've never read the entire chapter of the 17 of John, you should. Because it's a prayer not only to us, it's a prayer that Jesus gives to himself, to his disciples, and to all those who will come after. So I think for me, that's where it hits home. Jesus is taking his last few steps on earth. He's breathing in his last few breaths. He's eating his last meal. And what flows from him is prayer. And if we remember, prayer isn't about changing the heart of God, but instead changing the heart of the one who's doing the praying, right? Knowing that at some point, if prayed enough, we actually embody the prayers we indeed are praying for. That is what the hope is. Again, what's interesting about this prayer in John 17 is that it's naturally subdivided. Jesus is praying for himself. He's praying for his disciples. And he closes in prayer for all future believers. Another way of saying, that's me and that's you. That's us that he's praying for. And that is the part of the prayer that we've been invited into in today's gospel. So what is Jesus' prayer about? What is he praying for as he closes his ministry on earth? What is it that he wants us to become? What is it that he wants us to do? Is there a dominant theme that rises up over and over on the last night of his life? What is he holding most dear? And ultimately, what is it he wants his disciples to do? That's us. To pass on, to exemplify, to employ as we carry his message forward.
Well, there is a dominant theme that rises up. And there's clearly one thing that Jesus desires more than anything else. What he prays for again and again is this. That they all may be one. And if that wasn't clear enough, he says it again. That they may be one. And still another time. That they may be completely one with one another. Three different times. He expresses desire for those who believe to be one. Probably many would think that his last words might be layered with pronouncements to love or to teach or to be kind. And yes, we are to do all of those. We are to aspire to noble and honorable ways in which to live our lives. But what he chooses to pray for all of us in his last prayer is that believers might be one. It's almost as if Jesus knew that even in Christianity there would be division and strife, and there is. And so he is imploring, as his life is coming to an end, that instead we would strive for unity and purpose oneness with him, with God, with one another. It's deeply, deeply moving if you read through it. But it also brings up this question, we are all so different. How do we become one? I'm not sure if there is a church that displays this more than ours, the Episcopal Church. We are a peculiar bunch aren't we? We really are. Representing all kinds of beliefs, politically, socially, economically, we are a swath of all that is diverse and all that is different, and it is beautiful and it is good. And I don't think that Jesus is calling us to be one in that particular way. We are varied. We are different. We hold to things that our neighbor may not. That makes us interesting. It makes us peculiar, doesn't it? But as a priest, what it tells me is that there's no better place to see all of us coming together than when we are at the communion rail, setting aside our differences and joining in. So I go back to the gospel and ask, what the heck are we joining into? What is it that allows us to bend the knee together while we are so radically different from one another? <laughs> what enables us to do this is what Jesus prayed for. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, so may they also be in us. Together. This is what our unity is grounded in. It's grounded in divine unity. Our oneness is our desire to be joined within the oneness of God. 
the purpose or goal of unity that Jesus is praying for is not agreement of doctrine or beliefs, but rather participation in common faith and purpose. That is how the world is changed. Our desire to be so united with him that all other differences melt away mysteriously by the working of God the Father, his Son, and the Spirit, which breathes continually into us. Well, this Thursday was Ascension, and for the third year in a row, Grace has joined in the Thy Kingdom Come prayer movement. Can I show, can I see a show of hands and see how many folks are aware that this is going on? One, two, two hands. Well, I am going to tell you what this is about right now. This is a movement across the entire world which unites and calls for millions of Christians to come together and pray. Pray for those who need to know the saving love of Jesus. Pray for those who are lost and needing to find their way home. If you like, we will be praying together for the next week until Pentecost Sunday when we wait for the coming of the Spirit to unleash power and goodness. Thy kingdom come challenges those who want to partake in it to pray for five people who God has directed your mind and heart to focus daily towards in prayer. Believing again in unity when millions of prayers are offered on behalf of others, there is unity with one another and with the triune God. If you want to find out how to participate in thy kingdom come, come to me and I'll share it with you. A bit closer to home this week, we had the opportunity to host the Harbor Church at our mobile food pantry. These folks who came, and there were a lot of them, were excited to be helping. With matching Harbor t-shirts, smiles on their faces, an obvious love and a desire to serve, they entered into the good work of feeding our neighbors on Thursday at our mobile food pantry. Seeking union with Christ alongside one another. Our focus wasn't on straining to make it work with each other, but on the love of God as known to us in Christ, which embraces all of us together. Believing from all of this, everything will flow and the Spirit will show us how. At Grace, we're lucky enough we get to see it week in and week out. And sometimes, just like this week, we had a young woman who stumbled upon our grounds. She came to our mobile food pantry for the first time. She showed up because she'd gotten into trouble. She needed to do some community service. So she came, not really wanting to, but she knows that she has to. Well, I watched as she changed over the time she was on our campus. She was embraced by all those she served with, folks from the harbor, our Mormon missionaries, folks from Grace. At the end of our mobile food pantry event, I went up to her. She was smiling. 
And this is what she said. I don't know why grace is different from any other place I've ever been, but I want more. Amen. How about that? She then told me, Mother Suzanne, I'll be back. Sixteen years old, never stepped foot on our campus before, was so moved that she wants more. I would venture to say most 16-year-olds don't talk like that. So that's why I wanted to share it with you. It was powerful. And again, reinforces this notion that the unity of the church is essential to its outreaching mission. Our oneness is our witness. As a favorite preacher of mine, Paul Duke, so eloquently says, if humankind, in ceaseless disharmony with itself, observes a people of manifest differences and great diversities, living in joyous, common cause, and unwavering, grateful commitment to one another, and if these united people say that the love of Christ has done it, and lives in their oneness, then conclusions may be reached about Jesus, and perhaps about the oneness of love that is God. Powerful. And not a word has to be spoken. The secret of our oneness is not that we are alike but that we are loved alike by a God who sees each of us how we are. As each of us agrees to be gathered to that love and abide in it, we are inevitably gathered to one another. We are one because the one love of God surrounds, permeates, and connects us. And when this happens, as Jesus said on the last night of his life, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. I will close by saying, if this sounds like an abstraction or a totally off the wall, it's not. <laughs> Ongoing choices are required. Choices like serving one another, listening to one another, praying for and with one another, giving ourselves to each other, bearing witness with one another, and above all, seeking union with Christ alongside each other. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And we pray that our union will one day be
be restored and they'll know we are Christians by our love by our love yes they'll know that we are Christians by our love we will work with each other we will work side by side we will work with each other we will work side by side and we'll guard each man's dignity and save each man's pride and they'll know we are christians by our love by our love yes they'll know that we are christians by our